Hi everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Madison Ford. I hope you're all doing well. I hope that you and your loved ones are safe. The world is a very anxiety-inducing place right now, so I don't want to spend too much time lingering on it, but it would feel strange not to acknowledge that it's happening. Thankfully, we have lots of ways to distract ourselves and connect with one another during this time. And today I'm so happy to share my interview with Jeff. Jeff shared some really wonderful wisdom with us, his mental health journey, his relationship with the Potter series, and how he lives his life in reverse. We do have a trigger warning for this episode. We discuss suicide and death throughout, so please take care of yourself. I'm so excited to share this episode with y'all, so let's dive in. All right, welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everybody. Today on the show, we have Jeff. Jeff, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, To get started, will you tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in uh, sunny California in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I currently still live there. I am 43 years old, uh, married, no kids, uh, three cats. Um, currently, I run an events company. Uh, my company goes out and we run corporate events, fundraisers, private events for people. Um, I've been doing this for over 10 years. It's the most fun job I've ever had. Uh, we go out and we show people a good time. You know, we make them laugh, um, make them smile, and hopefully at the end of the night they have a really good memory of a good time. So, and once in a while I meet people who also like Harry Potter. Ah, those are the best types of people to meet. Um, and so, what uh, Potter related information do you want to share? Sure. Uh, I'm a proud Slytherin. Um, it's kind of funny saying that. Most people when I hear that think uh, I'm a bad guy, like uh, one of the Death Eaters. But no, <laughs> uh, all the Slytherins I know are really good people. Um, I'm just very ambitious and very driven to succeed. Um, I'm not a bad person. I don't like the way the books portray Slytherins often. You know, I feel it's very narrow. There are a lot of other Slytherins in that house who uh, didn't hate all the other people in Hogwarts. So mm-hmm. that's how I see myself. Um, my Patronus is funny. It's a St. Bernard dog. Um, oh. It really surprised me when I uh, got that animal in Pottermore because I've never owned a dog. I own three cats. Um, I, I like dogs. I enjoy going to my friends' homes and playing with their dogs, but I've never owned one. So it was really surprising. Um, I do enjoy I do like it. I know I'm not upset um, by my Patronus choice, um, but it's. I think it's very funny that I've never owned one. Maybe down the road uh, when I retire and I have more time to take care of a dog properly, I'll, I'll get a St. Bernard. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. They're so big. I love them. Yeah, they're big and they're... Fl- I actually have never known anyone to own one. Again, California, it doesn't seem like a very popular breed. Maybe if mm-hmm. you know we live somewhere that's a little more colder. Maybe around more. I don't know. I've never, I've never met a Saint Bernard. <laughs> My wand on on Pottermore is a redwood wand with a phoenix core. Uh, again, very interesting because redwoods are the state tree of California. They're mm. all over. Um, I actually where my parents live, the area I grew up in has a lot of redwoods, and so, and the redwood tree and the, re- the redwoods wands are actually drawn toward wizards and witches who are very fortunate, who are very lucky. Um, oh, wow. Again, I feel like I've been very fortunate in life in a lot of different ways. And even in, in even times I forget about it, I am still very lucky to be where I am and where I've come from and hopefully where I'm going. And so uh, I think, I, I again, I really enjoy that type of wand. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's I love that. I love what a fun little coincidence that it's a redwood given where you are. So today we're going to talk about um, kind of to get into your story. So we start off in high school with you 
where uh, you developed anxiety and depression. And I guess I'm curious to know how these things manifested for you and um, maybe why you think they came about at this time in your life. Sure. I um, I grew up in a household where education was the most important thing that myself and my brother and sister had to think about. My, uh, my parents um, immigrated from the Philippines um, in the 1960s. Uh, my brother was already uh, born. He was, he was a small baby when he came over with my parents. And my, I was born, and then my sister uh, came after me here in the United States. And my parents, especially my father, um, came from very uh, poor families. And so coming to America was the dream to uh, be very successful financially um, and with more opportunities to succeed in that way. And so growing up, we were always told that we had to do very well in school, uh, go do well in high school to get into a good college, you go to a good college to get a good job, and then so on and so forth. And so that was always the message our parents told us um, growing up. And so in high school, I felt I was put on a lot of, under a lot of pressure to do very well academically. Um, everything I did was supposed to be for uh, the next step, which would be college. So I, I took music to look good on a resume. I did sports, just to, you know, the same thing. And it's just all these things, you know, just getting straight A's wasn't even enough. And mm -hmm. so I was always very busy with all these activities and all this homework and all these classes um, to really succeed. And so by the time I was a senior, I, I th it just built up so much of having to perform and succeed. And not like I didn't enjoy the success. I did very well. Um, I did enjoy being uh, a good student, an honor student, one of the smart kids. But it never felt it was my own. And so I just kept pushing myself to really find favor with it from, from my parents and my teachers. And at, and at one point um, early in my senior year of high school, I just snapped in the sense that I felt I was doing so good and so well in my classes and not just, an, and it wasn't an easy schedule. A lot of my peers took the senior year pretty easily. Well, I stacked up my course load with honors classes. And even with what I felt was a really successful uh, semester, it was still not good enough for my parents. And so at that point, I, I snapped and I, and I mean, I already had anxiety about doing well in school and just performing well. And finally, it just, I didn't feel like I had much of a purpose because at that point I realized no matter how well I did, it was never good enough. And mm -hmm. so, and because my focus was always pleasing someone else, if I couldn't please that someone else, in this case, my parents, what was the point of even continuing on? And since I only saw my existence in my, in my studies, I didn't have a purpose at that point because it was never going to be enough. And so at that point, anxiety and depression really took over, and I was um, actually thinking about uh, taking my life. And it was it took all of my effort to just even tell one friend that I was doing this. And then she convinced me to talk to her mom. And then I said that I told her mom, my friend's mom, and then convinced me to like really like go into um, – go into a psychiatric hospital because it's not something any regular person can deal with. Yeah, that's, that's so true. These are having these kinds of feelings are, uh, it's really not something we're made to cope with on our own. And I can imagine that, uh, it's hard to tell people these feelings. And then when you're feeling that pressure come from within your own home, you know, that's, that's very isolating. And I'm, I'm really glad that you had someone else who you could reach out to for help. But but it was actually really difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. being in the hospital and then like having the the staff contact my parents 
because they didn't really understand what was going on. They're not, I mean, just growing up how they did and just having, coming from a different culture, mental health was not prioritized. I don't even, I mean, it wasn't even part of the conversation. That's why I never told my parents that I was anxious or depressed. I never told my parents how hard it was like living up to their standards. We didn't have that type of like communication and language in our family. And so mm -hmm. I just had to just bottle it in, which of course made it worse over time. Um, this is not, I mean, I did, didn't wake up my senior year and just like crack. It was something that started a lot earlier in my life and it just built up and built up and built up. Yeah. I'm curious to know, you know, during this time when you were hospitalized, like you said, you know, like even telling your parents from the hospital, that was really tough. What was, what was this period of your life like? I mean, one of the things that also made me crack is that I didn't feel like any of my really close peers, my f close friends would really understand where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. um, again, in that time period, I didn't have the language and we didn't like, you know, I guess in my like friend group in my high school, we didn't talk about mental health. It was just like, it was not something that was ever considered. And so I always kept this all inside. And so I always felt really alone thinking that I'm the only one who feels this much pressure from their family. Of course, mm -hmm. that probably wasn't true, but because, but we didn't never, we never talked about it. And so even but when I was in the hospital, the other teens in my ward were from really different backgrounds. Like I, I came from this really like high achieving family or at least like, a, or like high striving family. And almost all the other kids came from like really different backgrounds. A lot of them ha went through a lot of abuse. Some of them specifically from their parents, like, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, something I, I thankfully have never dealt with, mm -hmm. but they had a totally different background where they, they, they had this depression anxiety because they were victims of a different type of, of environment. And so even though we would have group therapy and we'd share how we felt, my story was really different than theirs. So even in that, I, I felt very isolated from them. Mm. That must have been really, that must have been really tough to, uh, like you go from one environment feeling kind of alone into going into a new one where you still feel a different kind of alone. That's, that's rough. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, part of being in a hospital setting, but you're still a student, is that we would still have homework from wherever schools we are coming from. And so, like, a lot of, again, because of the differences in our backgrounds, some of those kids were younger, and some of the kids were less, less academically advanced than I was. And so, the homework that they had to do was a lot different than the homework I had to do, which was, like, honors level, college prep type stuff. And so, again, I didn't really relate to them in the same way. Um, and just seeing the different expectations we had, again, just very different. How did that, how did that difference make you feel about like yourself and what you were dealing with? In a lot of ways, I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. Again, like depression, anxiety, or for kids who went through abuse, kids who are, who their parents hit, or they were, you know, or they were neglected, like, or kids who came from poverty, like someone like me who came from a very like middle-class background, um, who parents, who, my parents had a lot of means to put me through private school, like kids like me, you know, should not feel depressed. You should not feel anxious. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had all the, and again, I was very, I was very lucky, very fortunate to be in this lifestyle, but, and so therefore I should not be depressed and I should not feel anxiety. I should just feel like normal, like the other kids in my school look normal and they felt normal. Mm -hmm. um, so it was hard thinking that I would, I should have this depression and have these feelings. Yeah. When you, you know, it's like you 
you get set up to fail sometimes when you are, you have that mindset that invalidates your own experience. And is that something you were able to work through while you were there? Or did that take a little more time? It took a lot more time. I mean, mm-hmm. when I entered the the psychiatric hospital, there were, I think, four or five kids who were already there. And some of them were there for a, a, a while. They were there for, I think, several weeks already. And I only stayed three weeks, which is actually a very short um, stay. Pretty much the three weeks, by the time the third week passed, I had stopped feeling suicidal. Mm-hmm. And so that was enough for me to be discharged. Um, but that was just kind of like the bare minimum. I still felt a lot of pressure at from my my home environment, from my parents, to still succeed. And so um, I don't know how long those other kids stayed there. Again, uh, their situations are obviously different than mine, and they're um, they didn't didn't necessarily didn't have home environments that were healthy for them either. Right. And so, at least, like, physically healthy. So, mm-hmm. I was discharged fairly quickly, but I still had to deal with this for months and years to, you know, to go. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really, I mean, again, I, I was, I felt a little better when I left, but it was not like I was a finished product. Right. Yeah, these things take time. And I know um, you mentioned in your submission as you got into college that you started being able to manage your symptoms. Um, but you know, you still were dealing with depression and other things. And I'm curious to know in this period afterward, like when you were in college, what, uh, how did your mental health evolve and change during this time? At least my first couple of years of college, I felt like my emotions were always, bubbling on the surface. I just, I just felt things. Um, Mm -hmm. if I felt sad, I'd just be sad. If I felt, um, happy, I'd just be really happy. And so like, I never really moderated my feelings. It just, whatever I felt, I felt, I mean, this is again, a difference, different from when I was growing up where, um, I couldn't think about my feelings because I had to do well in school or had to do well in whatever activity, um, I was, I was participating in. And so now that I was independent from my parents, at least like physically not living with my parents, going away to school, I felt more free to feel things. But again, with like, again, I was still pretty young and my feelings were all over the place. Um, whether it be changing majors willy nilly, which I did a few times, um, whether it be having, um, romantic feelings toward friends. Again, I would like f- quote unquote fall in love very easily. And then mm-hmm. when it didn't turn out the way I wanted, when the other person didn't reciprocate those feelings, then I would just be crushed. That happened a lot in college, especially those early years. And so I was very up and down. I kept pretty busy with, again, different activities. But at least at this point, the activities were really for my interest and my purpose not necessarily to please my parents and so i felt a lot of freedom in that but i still was very much a work in progress not knowing how to really not control my feelings but really like listen to them and what are they trying to tell me what's my body trying to tell me and so i would just kind of like ride this wave and just kind of hope i was doing the right thing versus actually i didn't really have much guidance or much direction i would just feel and then that would, whatever feeling I had at the moment just kind of dominated uh, dominated me for a time period. Mm-hmm. It's interesting sometimes how being away from someone who's putting that kind of pressure on you, it can help alleviate some of the, you know, some of the difficulty, but there's just so much left over from all of the time spent, you know, having that pressure on you in person. And um, I guess, is there, is there anything else you want to say about, you know, what was going on in college kind of before you encountered the Harry Potter series? I know one thing that really changed for me was my, my degree path. So even at the 
after leaving the hospital during my senior year and going back to school, it was still very difficult for me to like integrate back in. And so I still acted out um, in smaller ways. I mean, I was not self-injurious or desiring to be self-injurious, thankfully, but I was a lot more rebellious in in small ways. Mm-hmm. And so like I it was just hard for me to be at home and be around my parents. And so like I just really desired to go away. And so finally when I go into college, I felt a lot of freedom being away, physically away from my parents, but I still also hadn't fully gone out of the pattern of wanting to please them through my academic success. And so my initial uh my initial major going into my freshman year of college was pre-med. Um, mm. They wanted me to be a doctor. And so I enrolled in a pre-med program. I was very successful in my science classes in high school, but I went to a pretty, I went to a, to a very prestigious university. Um, I went to the university of California at Davis, which has one of the top medical programs in the country. It also has the top veterinary program in the country. And so my goal, at least early on, is to be either a doctor or a veterinarian. Mm. I also realized that college is not like high school in the sense that high school, I could put in a good amount of effort and get all A's. But in college, to get all A's, I had to put in a tremendous amount of effort which I didn't do because now having all this freedom, I spent a lot of times making, making friends and finding a social circle that was really supportive. Mm -hmm. And so I spent more time with my friends than I, than I should have if I wanted to get all A's to become a doctor or a vet. And so it took me two years to realize that I wasn't going to be what my parents wanted me professionally. And it took me that, that long to really come to grips with again, like, letting go of my parents' goals to find my own. Right. And and so I actually then started like search, searching for a degree path that would fit me to my liking, something that I enjoyed studying, not something just to like study to, just to get a degree and like not care about. I wanted something I really wanted to dive into. And so after a while, I actually – uh, chose a religious studies major, um, mm. so I I actually enjoyed that and I actually cared about it much more than I cared about all these science classes, which were very interesting. But it didn't fit my didn't just didn't fit me. Yeah, well, it's I'm glad that you were able to. I think you know college majors. It's it's so hard to know when you're young where you know how you want to set up the rest of your life. And I'm glad you were able to, um, I feel like sometimes people just push and push and push and try to fit into this, you know, this box that isn't right for them. So I'm glad that you were able to kind of find your own path. Um, even if it took a little time, I think getting there at all is a huge accomplishment. And so I believe in college, um, is is this about when you first encountered the Harry Potter series? Actually, I did not encounter Harry Potter until after I graduated. So mm-hmm. I finished school in 1998, but I did it. I wasn't made aware of Harry Potter until 2001, mm-hmm. and so I was. Uh, at that time, I started dating a young woman who is actually now my wife, and she's a teacher, or at least she was a teacher at the time. And she introduced me to Harry Potter um, when we first started dating. And in my hubris, I told her, no, I don't read children's books. I'm 25 years old. <laughs> so <laughs> I I love reading and I, I've read a lot of books and, you know, fiction, nonfiction. But I, you know, didn't read children's books at that time. Mm-hmm. And so she had read the first three. And she enjoyed it, but she didn't push it on me. She knows I'm stubborn. And so um, she knows she knew not to like really push back too much. Uh, 
But later that year, uh, the first movie came out. So she took me to see that movie. And then like right away from the first scene on, I just fell in love with the wizarding world. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I remember going back to my apartment that night and then uh, reading the first three books that she had in paperback. Like I probably read those in like a week. Um, And so from then on, I was hooked. Oh yeah. That's, (laughs) I feel like that I hear that so often that, you know, once you finally give in to reading them or experiencing the story for that first time, it's, you know, it's over. (laughs) Um, And I'm curious to know, as you were first reading these, um, and maybe this is, you know, as you're first reading them, or maybe it took a little longer, a a reread or, you know, later in the series, but um, what, what did the books teach you about mental health and your own mental health issues? In a lot of ways, I remember feeling a lot of affinity toward Harry in the sense that he didn't find solace talking to his teachers. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, when I was going through all my difficulties, when I was like really feeling all these feelings and not knowing what to do with them, I never talked to a teacher. I never talked to a counselor. There was even a therapist at my high school that I started seeing after I got out of the hospital and we never clicked. He just didn't seem to get me and I never really liked him. And so I, I didn't see him that much. Um, we only had a few in-person sessions. He actually tried to do family therapy with my parents, and it never flew. He never understood where my parents are coming from. And so I felt like Harry in the sense of like he had all these feelings. He had all these difficulties. He had all these problems. And again, like the problems that he had were more life and death, like like really someone's trying to get him. And he never went to his teachers. He always went to Ron and Hermione, and that was it. And so I felt the same way where like I never felt like I can go to an authority figure in the sense that I had to solve my own problem. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways, that's kind of how I've lived my life with mental health is that I've tried to find ways where I can manage my own mental health. Obviously, I've, I've had assistance from a lot of different people over my lifetime, but I'm not one to like really – go to someone and say, I have this problem, solve it for me. Yeah. It would be more like, hey, I'm having these problems. Can you help me figure out a way we can do this together? Mm-hmm. I'm curious if reading the books, if that, in addition to kind of like enhancing, you know, giving you insight on your own experiences, did it change anything about the way you, um, you manage your mental health problems? I don't know if it's changed the way I've handled my mental health problems. I think if anything, it's really um, reinforced the way I do things. Again, Harry is a doer. Mm-hmm. He's not a, I mean, in a lot of ways, he kind of acts a little too rashly, kind of jumps into the danger. Mm-hmm. But, he, you know, he's not one to sit on the sidelines and wait for something to happen to him or wait for someone to save him. Um, he is really wanting to fix the problem, whatever it is. And again, some people don't like that, but I really feel that's my style too. I'm not willing to like wait. I just, mm-hmm. I can't just sit here and do nothing. I have to do something. The idea of if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem resonates with me. And I think that would resonate with Harry too. And so I felt a lot of, a lot of camaraderie with Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that was really different is that I didn't grow up with Harry. A lot of the people I've met um, since reading Harry Potter is that they're a lot younger. I feel like I'm on the older side of the Harry Potter fandom. Many of my peers, my Harry Potter f- fan friends, grew up with Harry. Like They read Harry when they were like eight, nine, ten years old and like grew up with him year to year. And so when we talk about Harry Potter and our experiences, like their experience is so much different because they were children in the beginning when I was already in my twenties, first reading the story. Mm -hmm. And so 
So when Order of the Phoenix came out, I was actually working in social services as a crisis counselor for at-risk youth. Mm-hmm. And I'm understanding that these kids in my program who are self-injurious or are prone to violent tendencies are like Harry and that they have PTSD, PTSD also from abuse, from being victims of violence. Like Harry is a victim of violence or he has observed violence. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm when I met people saying, Hey, Harry's so annoying at this in the fifth book, I can't read this, this is too much, he's just so angry all the time. And I'm like, wait, hold on. He's gone through trauma. He has yeah. seen one of his friends die. I mean, thankfully I've never had that experience to see someone die in front of me. But we have to account for that. This is not he's not angry just because he's going through puberty or just because he's 15 he's gone through so much trauma that we have to acknowledge that and that has to be and definitely for harry that was a a shape uh, that was a a shift in his life that he saw life differently from then on yeah and so people who've never been through that type of trauma or have never experienced a type of trauma can't really understand what that's like absolutely you mentioned during your time working in social services, you were able to kind of connect with someone who was also a Harry Potter fan. And I'm curious what it was like to connect with her over the Harry Potter series. Sure. Um, during the time when the books were still being released, I was working in a in a group home for teenagers. Um, again, these uh, young people... Uh, had gone through a lot of trauma. Uh, most of them were had history of self-injurious behavior or history of violence toward others, and so we um, we tried to help them manage their emotions. And really, the goal of the program was to teach these young people to take their emotions and to turn it into language. Like so, instead of feeling angry and then going to hit someone, we really try to teach them to say, "I'm really angry at you. That this is why," and then start a dialogue. And this is not an easy thing to, for anyone to do, much less kids who are victims of abuse. And so, what we would try to do is to personalize our treatment for every student, every young person, to try to find what they liked and try to use that as motivation or use it as a touch point to for connection. So some kids like sports, so we would talk about basketball or football. Some kids like games, so we talk about you know playing checkers or chess. Um, some kids like books, and we talk about their favorite characters. And then one student, she really loved Harry Potter. And this young woman was very difficult. Um, she was really a loner in the group. She really withdrew. She was not very vocal. She was um, hard to reach, and therefore a lot of the other staff didn't know how to connect to her. But when, when this young lady found out I liked Harry Potter, she really connected with me, and so we would talk about it. Uh, we would talk about how Harry would experience this trauma and that she was able to talk about it at least not necessarily it wasn't the same her trauma was not the same as Harry's, but there was an analogy. There was like there was some kind of, of similarity that she can identify with that we would talk about. And so um it was a way for me to connect with her that a lot of the other staff didn't understand. So when, when, when Harry would talk about, um, you know, missing Cedric because, and then he died, none of the other, other crisis counselors could really knew what that meant, but I did. And so this young student and I, we really connected. And so, uh, we also use Harry Potter as a way to motivate her to, um, to form positive behaviors and so if she uh, did the behaviors that we were looking for that her therapist really wanted her to work on, you know, I would buy her a Harry Potter item, you know, 
And there'd be times where I'd buy her the books, you know, I'd go to the minute releases and buy the books for her because she wasn't able to go out at midnight and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was a way for her, like that, that was a way for her to motivate herself um, to, to try to improve her behavior and try to, you know, help her in her therapy. I think that's so incredible that it's like there's this, you know, a whole different language that you have access to by reading the Harry Potter books. Like, you know, being sad about uh, Cedric dying, that is such a specific, that that is a very specific thing in the Potter series and being able to connect like that, um, it, it really is. It's like how there are words in some languages that don't translate into other ones um, very well. And I, I'm curious to know how, looking at how you were able to connect with her, you know, how, how do you think that that helped her outcome and, and how, and yours as well, you know, connecting with somebody in this, uh, in kind of a unique setting, you know, how do you think that affected both of you? I would guess that she really liked having someone to connect to. Again, she was really very much a loner. She didn't like what the other kids liked. She didn't really know how to talk to any of the staff. Um, when I first came on board in this group home, she was a kid that was a mystery because mm-hmm. she was she was just very different. And if I look back, she was the nerdy kid. She was a kid who'd rather just be in the library or be in a room and read a book. Mm-hmm. And that was her escape. That was her way to forget the trauma of her past was to dive into someone else's story, which I definitely appreciate because I've been that person too. But at some point we got to get out of the story or we have to leave someone else's story and live our own. Yeah. And so again, the staff that I work with didn't really resonate with, with her. And so why I did And so for me, it was like, again, her story is different. Her history is different than mine growing up, but I found a lot of similarities. Like I, I know how she feels because I was so much like her as a teenager. Mm. And I, and I think for her, it was again, seeing a staff person connect with her. I know she had seen some of these other kids connect with some other staff members because of they had similar interests. And knowing that no one else had any interest was hard for her. But seeing me having similar interests, she was able to come out of her shell a little more and be a little more talkative. She was never going to be as talkative as the other kids, but she was able to do better in group therapy. She was able to be a little more vocal. And then eventually, as she her behavior improved and her countenance improved, we are able to do more things with her. Like She was very smart. She, again... Just like in my experience in the hospital, she was one of the brightest kids in school. So we, just like the hospital, all the kids had um, personalized academic plans. Some kids were really behind because they were always getting kicked out of, of regular school mm-hmm. and going from foster to foster home or placement to placement. She was the opposite end where she was very advanced. And so – when her behavior improved and she was able to like be functional in public, her therapist arranged for uh, this young student to go to community college classes, even though she was only 16 at the time. And I would be the one to take her because she trusted me more than anyone else. Um, So I would take time out of my day or in really the evening, she took night classes. I would take her to these community college classes and she'd sit and she made friends in these classes with her, with the other students. And I would just sit in the back and I'd read something. Sometimes it'd be, sometimes it'd be Harry Potter because I wasn't in this class. I wasn't mm-hmm. taking notes for her. I was just making, I was pretty much like making sure she didn't run away. I'd drive her there and drive her back, but I would just do my own things. Oftentimes it'd be Harry Potter. It's just for something for me to read. Wow. What a wonderful I've I've spoken with a few people who have worked uh, in social work before, and I am I'm always so grateful to hear how Harry Potter can be 
a great tool, a great point of connection, a way that, you know, it really, on a tangible level can really change people's lives. And I'm glad that that was, um, that that was able to happen for, you know, this person that you worked with. So looking kind of at your own experience with the Potter books, I am curious if there are any standout moments or characters or lines from the books or movies that really kind of made an impact on how you viewed your life or yourself. Sure. Um, so I remember watching the first movie and then like you know, falling in love with the, with the story and then going back to my apartment and reading the first three books, which were in paperback at the time. And just going through those real quickly. And I did enjoy the stories, but they felt like kind of kind of young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fourth book, I believe, was out already. But it was still like pretty new, so we had a hardcover copy. And I didn't know anything about the stories. I had not really like looked at the fan sites or anything. I just was just diving in. And so... Just seeing how big the fourth book was, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot happens here. And so I just remember reading through it and reading through it and, like, you know, getting involved in the story. And I remember the moment where Harry and Cedric get, um, they touch the, uh, the Triwizard Cup and they realize it's a port key and they're in the, in the graveyard. And then Voldemort is resurrected in bodily form and then he has Cedric killed. And I remember reading that page and seeing like just his description of, of Cedric's body is just there. He just died. And Harry's mm-hmm. just in shock. And I knew right then it's like this is not a children's story anymore. This is like a real life grown up story. Yeah. And just seeing that the idea of Harry is caught up in this conflict, this war. And that there are real consequences. In a lot of children's books, like the consequences are very minor. But now this is like transition into something that is more real life. And so as I think about that moment, reading that, that part of the story for the first time, it made me think about this is not just entertainment to me anymore. Mm-hmm. There's something about this story that resonates with me because I've been I felt like that I felt about dying I felt about like taking my life and that is not something that that is taken lightly and so I remember like really wanting to know more after that like that's when I started really craving the story and that was like the last that was the only book available at the time and so now I had to wait like the other fans about what happens next and I was like wow what's really going to happen next how's How's JKR going to be like, take the story? Where's he going to go with this? And so in the same way, like what are the characters going to respond? Like, again, you know, when, when we see someone die, when we find out someone we, we love past, like everyone has a different response. So how are the characters in the story? How are the students, how the teachers are going to respond to Cedric dying, especially in the way he did. So that was very much a touchdown for me. And like, again, that's very early on in my fandom because I just read the books right away. And it's like, boom, this Mm -hmm. is, this is it. This is real. This is like, not, this is not, this is not for little boys and girls anymore. This is forever for all of us. I love how you put that, that there's this, you know, it's this moment where they're not children's books anymore. And that, that real craving for what happens next comes because it, it becomes questions, not just of school children, but of, of literal life and death, these existential huge topics that all of a sudden, you know, it, it felt like in some ways hearing, you know, knowing what happened next, it was like, be able to get a real answer about what does this actually mean? You know, what is the impact of this on uh, real life as well? I, I just, I just feel like, this is also the thing where I got to this point in the story. I read the, f- I finished the fourth book and then I'm like, what happens next? Mm-hmm. And that, again, like 
I felt like that's how life is. Like we come to a, a, a crossroad and there's like no way that we can, we have no, like there's no blueprint a lot of times for how we proceed next. I think a lot of times we look for like instructions or guidance or like someone to literally tell us what to do. And at that point, Harry doesn't have a teacher to tell him what to do. He's just kind of flying by the seat of his pants and trying to do the best he can. And I feel like we need to be the same way. We can't just always rely on other people. Sometimes we have to be self-reliant. And sometimes we have to go with our gut, especially in times of crisis where we don't have time to think out all the possibilities. I know like a lot of people love Hermione. She's very well thought out and she wants to find all the information but their time there's times where harry and ron say we don't have time to go to the library we just have to make a decision <laughs> right. so sometimes it's some there are times for the library and for research and there are times for action and so i just again that's where i feel an affinity toward harry because he's the action person mm-hmm. absolutely in all of this um Something you said in your submission that has really stuck with me is you said you feel like you live your life in reverse. And I would love it if you could talk to us about what that means to you. Sure. Um, Ever since I had my time in the hospital and times thinking about suicide, I think about death a lot. It's not something I share with my friends and my family because it's not... It's not happy talk, but I think about death a lot. And I've been in situations where I actually think, and I'm fortunate that I'm, that I'm still alive. Um, I've, it, it's not something that I like seek out. I'm not a thrill seeker. I'm not trying to like go hang gliding or like climb mountains or like do really crazy stuff. I'm not. I mean, I enjoy things like that occasionally, but not as like a day to day thing. I'm not, I'm not living for that rush like some people mm-hmm. seem to do. But there have been times where I've, I've, I've been in situations where maybe I could have died. And again, I've been very fortunate I haven't. Um, I've remember, I mean, one of the things I did after, uh, I graduated college again. I uh, I went to Africa in 2001 um, on a humanitarian project with some friends. We were in Ethiopia for a month. It was right after, um, or soon after their civil war with Eritrea, and we were in the northern part of Ethiopia. And so the there we were serving was full of soldiers. Every time you go anywhere, there's always like an armed guard everywhere, and it was just knowing that violence could break out at any time. Thankfully, it didn't, but it could have. Yeah, that's scary. And even before I left for that trip, I actually remember writing a letter and giving it, giving it to my parents, and it said, do not open unless I pass away. And it's just mm-hmm. the idea that like this is something... I have stuff to say to my parents that I can't say in person, but I want them to know if this happens, if the worst happens to me. And so um, it's not something I like to think about, but it's something I do think about mm-hmm. because I've, I've been in situations like that. I've probably actually written that letter five or six times now as my, as my life has gone on and I've grown up and I've learned new things. I have new things to say. Mm-hmm. And so I always have one. Um, so just in case, I, in the sense that I I don't have time to say everything I want to say to everyone I know, right? right. Like I know that I've am more I'm more deliberate with my parents. Um, my parents are approaching 80. Um, right now they're fairly healthy, but they're older. Mm-hmm. And so every time I talk to my mom and dad, either on the phone or in person, I always 
tell them before I leave that I love them. It's not something that we said to each other growing up. And I still think it's uncomfortable for my parents to say it back to me, but I want them to know that I love them. And so, cause I don't want them to think I don't. And again, with their advanced age, I don't know if that's the last time I'm going to see them. Yeah. So I'm very deliberate with that, but then there's a lot more things I want to tell them that I don't have to, I don't have the time to. And there's a lot of things I want to tell a lot of people that I don't have time to. And so I think about the end for me. I think about what my funeral is going to be like, what my funeral will look like. I think about how people will remember me. And I think about legacy. And it's the idea that I'm not trying to create something artificially, but I'm trying to create what people remember me by what I am doing now. In, in a lot of ways, I'm actually on this podcast because so many people in my life don't know about my mental health history, at least not to the extent that I've shared today. Um, they might have heard bits and pieces, but they don't know like how deep these feelings have become or how how deep they were, especially when I was younger. And so it's the idea that I'm always thinking about what what am I doing now that defines who I am down the road. Mm-hmm. Because the habits I create today are the habits I have. what creates my lifestyle down the road. So I think about life in reverse. It's like if I'm going to, if I see, if I have a decision to make now, I think about the consequences. Is this going to be beneficial for me long term? Is it beneficial for me in the short term? And that actually weighs on me. It's like, if it's actually not that great of a deal, and then I'll say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's how I make a lot of decisions nowadays. And so um, I don't want to be the person at the end of my life that says, I regret not doing this, or I regret not saying this, or regret not doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people who are just very afraid of so many things. And I just, I just tell them like, you're always thinking about the negative and the worst case, but you also have the opportunity to, to do great things or to, to make great connections or make great friendships. And you're holding yourself back by not, by not acting or not trying or not taking a risk. And that's where people regret is not taking that risk that could have been something wonderful in their lives. And I don't want to be that person to have those type of regrets. I want to keep going forward and keep taking sensible risks and keep enjoying life and not just enjoy life, but to also help others. Because again, like I know now that I'm not the only one who has felt a lot of pressure from their parents. I'm not the only one who's, who has had this burden of expectation and I'm not the only one who has felt like a failure. Mm -hmm. And so I can take my story and share it with others and really connect with them. And I can also share the story of Harry Potter and my love of Harry Potter and connect with other Harry Potter fans. And we can really like have a friendship that Harry Potter is the start, but it's not the end because again, we have a lot more in our lives than just this fandom, but it's a good start. Absolutely. I love that. I, you know, something I find very comforting in moments of anxiety is uh, remembering we're all walking to that same place in the end, um, you know, and that carving out our paths and making those, you know, taking those risks, ultimately, you know, we'll all end up in the same place. And it's important to live life knowing that this is our chance to do those things. And that's, I just, I really love, uh, I love what you have to say about all of that. I think it's so very important to live with, uh, live with the end in mind. And sometimes it's scary thinking about that, but um, I do think that there's a lot of benefit to it as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, As we move to the end of our time here, uh, I'm curious to know if you have any last words of wisdom or advice or 
anything you want to share about what's going on right now? Sure. Um, so as we record this, I'm actually stuck at home. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay area and this area has been ordered to shelter in place because of the coronavirus, except for people who are in essential businesses. Um, the rest of us either work from home or stay at home. And for me, that's difficult. Um, my work is not essential. I mean, I th the events, no one's throwing events now because we can't meet in public. And so I understand. Um, thankfully, my job's safe and my boss is paying me to do nothing with the hopes that when this outbreak ends, that we'll go back to work and live life normally, whatever that means from, from here on. But right now it's hard for me to be at home. I'm pretty extroverted. I'm pretty outgoing. I like being among people. But one thing that I, I think about is that I can't just sit here and just watch TV or stream movies and just kind of like be by myself or try to entertain myself. I feel like I have to do something. And so what I am doing and what I'm encouraging my peers to do is to find ways that we can help other people. Um, the thing that I'm doing is that I'm going out in the mornings and I'm going to my local food bank. Uh, the food bank has put a call out for extra volunteers because there's so many people who are food insecure with all the layoffs from all the jobs that aren't happening, um, especially in the service industry. Um, on, in addition, the food bank's normal volunteers have been told not to come in because they're over 65, which is a vulnerable class for the coronavirus. And mm -hmm. so those who are healthy and able have been really asked to come in and really help out to, um, to collect food and to prepare emergency food kits for, for folks who don't have the means to go out to the stores and uh, buy food. Um, and because their jobs, they don't have money from their jobs that don't exist anymore. And so that's what I'm doing to help, to help others. I've been encouraging a lot of my friends, especially my Harry Potter fan friends to do the same. And not, not necessarily go out. Not everyone is able to go out. Not everyone, not everyone's able to go and get in their cars and help out physically, which is fine because some people are not feeling safe to do that or they are also in a in a vulnerable class but there are ways that we can look out for each other we can check in on our friends and family especially if we have older relatives who can't get out um, we can create art and share that on the internet to help people really feel a little better there there are so many other ways that we can in our own communities that we can reach out to help people um, i'm really wanting us Harry Potter fans to really act like we're the order of the Phoenix that we're not sitting on the sidelines while the death eaters take control. We're not waiting for the government just to bail us out. We're actually taking control of our destinies and in, in charge of our lives and in, in, in some ways taking risks, but we are doing good for our fellow human beings um, in a very tangible way. So I don't want us to just think about ourselves, about the anxiety of being home alone, anxiety of not having um, like our jobs normally, or even having our, our educations or schools disrupted. Well, those are all very real things too, but I also want to think outside of ourselves. In, in that sense, that will help us to get over our anxieties and, and depression in that we can really just find ways that we can be productive and helpful for each other. Because in the end, like the more we put out and the more we give to others, the more we receive back too. And so in the time that I'm going to the food bank, I'm, I'm receiving so much more back than I feel like I'm giving. And so that's how I want to, again, how I want to live my le leave a legacy, how to live my life that of someone who gives. Thank you so much for that. I think it's, 
you know, one of the best ways we can help ourselves is by helping other people. And, you know, by the time this comes out, I'm not really sure what things will look like, but, um, you know, there are ways we can all help each other. You know, like you said, be it going physically helping or the things that we can do from home uh, if we're there, you know, let's just band together, be like the order of the Phoenix, like you said, and uh, our relationships and connections with each other are what are going to, that's what's going to help us get through this. Um, I know that uh, it's probably not out yet, but I know that you are working on your own Harry Potter podcast. And uh, if you want to tell everybody a little bit about it, feel free to give us your plug. Thank you. Um, I've been thinking about this podcast even before Harry Potter was published. Um, in a lot of ways, when I was going through therapy, um, individual and group therapy, I mean, obviously, with the problems I had in high school, it was very centered on me and what I felt and how I reacted and how I would act upon my emotions. And while that was, in a lot of ways, helpful, I don't think that was really ever complete. It took me to... I had to think about where my anxiety came from, where my depression came from. And in, in that sense, it came to me to realize that I was trying to live up to my parents' expectations. And so my relationship with my parents was the key to how I was going to uh, deal with my feelings. And then as I've grown older and seen my other difficulties in my life, it was never about me. It was always about my relation to someone else. So it could be my relation to my parents. It could be a relation to my siblings. Relationship to a romantic partner. Relationship with a coworker or a, or a bo my boss or something like that. It was always me and someone else and so i've had to learn look at learn to look at life in that sense it's never just about me mm -hmm. and so as i have thought about the, all these different issues and i've looked at other like self-help materials most of those materials always center on the self and i always felt that again that's not enough and so as i think about Again, creating art or, or, or creating, creating something that would help others. I thought about how, how am I going to take the information I've learned and to give it to other people? And so I thought about podcasts. And so, but then I also love Harry Potter. And so, and how Harry Potter has taught me so much about my relationship with other people in looking at Harry's relationships with his peers, his teachers, his foster family, everything like that. And so um, I'm actually working on a podcast with a friend of mine. Um, it's going to be called Hominem Revelio. It's the idea that we are going to look at the character stories and try to find wisdom into our, into our lives. Mm. And so we're planning to hopefully release in the summer or fall. Um, we're going to release a 10-episode season, and we're going to look at different characters in the story in different roles. And so the first episode will be Harry the Child. Harry as, uh, as a young person and his relationship with both the Dursleys as also his parents and how that has shaped him and then what can we learn from that. And so we're going to have... Uh, 10 episodes in the first season and if people like it if we have good feedback we'll just keep making more and so and it's also the idea that even as i am saying all this i'm definitely not a finished product i'm still trying to figure this owl out i don't claim to have a perfect life i don't claim to know all the answers but i'm what i'm claiming is that i'm still trying to seek wisdom so I can become a better person. And then my co-host is of the same mindset, which is why we're doing this together. She wants to get better at this, whatever this is. 
Mm-hmm. And she also loves Harry Potter. And so we're really excited. We're we're working hard to um, come up with material and, and to start recording. And so um, we're hoping to, yeah, hoping to release our, our season later this year. Well, I am very excited to listen to that. And once everything is up, we will definitely um, share their social media handles, links and everything. So if y'all listening are interested, um, just keep an eye on our social media and you'll, uh, you'll see that pop up at some point. Um, thank you so much. I'm very, I love this idea for a podcast and I will definitely be listening in when you get everything set up. Well, thank you, Benison. I just also want to say, I just want to thank you for this podcast. I know that I needed it when I first heard about it almost about a year ago now. And mm-hmm. I also know a lot of people who love Harry Potter who don't talk about mental health with their friends because it's, again, it's a hard thing to do. And so this is a way for all of us in the fandom to connect with each other because we do have a lot of similarities and we can also take the stories, um, the Wizarding World stories and connect with that. And so again, I want to thank you for this creation that you brought to us. I appreciate it. And I am so glad that you've, uh, that it's helped serve you in some way. And anyone who listens, uh, I just think these, you know, uh, there are Potter podcasts that came before beyond the veil and this beautiful web of, you know, new new creations that comes as we continue to get insight from these books in new beautiful ways uh i will never not be amazed and thrilled to see what the community comes up with next so well jeff it has been a pleasure to have you on thank you so much for sharing your story and all of your wisdom with us i really appreciate it again thank you for having me madison my interview with Jeff. Jeff, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and sharing your story with us. If you listening would like to be a guest on Beyond the Veil, you can submit your story using the link below. Thank you all for listening, and I look forward to our next meeting in the headmaster's office. Take care.